Governor, I'm wondering now with um, no longer a Republican-controlled legislature, if you're going to revisit reorganizing the government. You ran into some issues early in your term where they rejected an executive reorganization order. Now you've got ostensibly allies who would support that. Are you taking a look at those kinds of changes? Yeah, we are. Um, I think, you know, this is a, a second term, a new opportunity in front of us, new needs, frankly. And so um, I, I don't have anything to announce right now, but we are examining whether or not the early changes that we had hoped to make might still make sense or if there are different um, organizations. So we have, um, you know, we got a lot of affordable housing needs in, in Michigan, right? And unfortunately, we've got um, not one place that addresses everything. So th there's an office in the MEDC that w probably should be moved. I mean, there are just some things like that that um, we are considering as well. So in the last two years, there has historically been the lowest number of public acts signed into law since Michigan started having a full-time legislature. You know, what would you say <coughs> has been your office's role when voters look back and see this lack of productivity that's going to be recorded? You know, I think we should define productivity in terms of like percentage of things that really are making a difference in people's lives. And um, it's not the number of bills that get done, it's the quality of them. And, you know, the last legislature was not keen on negotiating on a lot of things. They would often just send things over knowing that they were going to get vetoed. Every, there was very little surprise in any of the vetoes, I mean, maybe aside from the first budget that we had to do. Um, so, you know, I think that we're going to have a much more productive uh, session with leadership that will be working with us and you know just because it's democratic control that's only controlled by two seats in both chambers it's not an overwhelming margin we anticipate that um, by and large the most of what we will do will continue to be bipartisan I think that's important and um, we'll still be negotiating with the legislature but uh, this the way this system works is that the legislature makes all the decisions the governor has an important role Nothing happens around this town, 56, 20, and 1, and that 1 is very important, and the last legislature didn't maybe understand that or appreciate that. So what would be your hot take when it comes to why the legislature met so little this year? <laughs> You'd have to ask them. <laughs> I kept calling on them to come back into work, but, um, you know, you'd have to ask the, the, last, uh, the last leadership. Right. I, I, you want to speak I mean, for your friend Mike Shirky? Or? <laughs> <laughs> you know... <laughs> going forward, you know, I think we recognize and the incoming legislative majority recognizes that the voters have given us tools that we can apply to help make life better and to help continue to grow our economy more aggressively, to help invest in education and water infrastructure and all the things that we've been talking about wanting to do and have made some important progress on in some respects. But I think we can make more progress. I think the governor's absolutely right. You know, I don't think any voters care how many bills get signed. Literally, no voters care about that. But people do care um, what is getting done and what's going to be accomplished and what kind of opportunity we're enabling. And I think this incoming uh, legislature is going to be one that's going to be focused on that. And, and the governor will be as well. Governor, we reported this last night, and I was curious to get your reaction to this. An assistant attorney general said the Chatfield investigation involves. Uh, governmental appointees, quote, at high levels. Did you see that, and do you have any reaction to that? 
Well, I've, I've I'm keen to understand what that means. I don't know what that is referring to. And so I, I am very interested to know. Um, you know, I think looking back on these last four years and, um, you know, someday I'll write a book and you can read about my early <laughs> conversations with some of the subjects of that, that inquiry. Um, you know, I think that it appears that there were a lot of things that don't work well in in terms of oversight accountability and um, I think that there's a, a lot of work that the le this incoming legislature is is keen on doing and we'll work very closely together on that people deserve to know that their leaders are looking out for them not themselves that they are following the law and if the law is not tight enough we'll change it do you want to share any details of what you might put in the book, maybe just one. <laughs> I've got some good stories from my NGA meeting in 2019 where I sat right next to Donald Trump. That'll uh, be a fun <laughs> chapter for you. <laughs> <laughs> he made fun of some of his own cabinet members, but you'll have to pick up the book one day, Craig, and I'm not writing it now, and I'm not going to write it with any state employee's help, <laughs> unlike that former governor of New York. Governor, on that topic of um, government accountability, one thing you talked about way back in your 2018 campaign was expanding the Freedom of Information mm -hmm. Act to include your own office in the legislature. In fact, you said you would voluntarily make your own office open to public records requests if the legislature didn't ask. You've got a Democratic majority coming now. Um, are you going to get this done, and do you want to get it done? Yes and yes. What does that look like? Are you talking what the legislature has been discussing? The separate statute that would cover the legislature? Do you want an equally applied public records? I want it equally applied, um, equally applied, absolutely. Part of the reason that um, we never found common ground with the legislature is because they didn't want to subject themselves to the same standards. And as you see everything from the Ginny Thomas outreach that happened to certain legislatures um, in the you know, during the, you know, time between the presidential election and the the um, January 6th, maybe that outreach happened here. Guess what? We don't know because they are not subject to FOIA. And I think that's just one timely, salient, substantive example of why they also need to be subjected to it. So um, we're going to work with the legislature to improve transparency, accessibility, and to make sure that it applies to all the branches. Governor, I have a somewhat long one. So President Biden just signed protections for same-sex marriage and LGBTQ plus rights. Um, in the 2022 campaign in Michigan, Republicans campaigned on anti-LGBTQ uh, priorities like book bans and a don't say gay style law. Um, what impact do you think that such proposals have had on LGBTQ youth? And what legislation will you in a democratic legislature prioritize next term to protect those rights? So I was, let me start with this. Very grateful that our Attorney General argued the case and got and won the case to expand um, civil rights protections to the LGBTQ community in this past summer. I still think we need to codify that here in Michigan. Um, you know, I can tell you that the the hate that was so prevalent on the other side of the aisle during this election. Um, I hope people see the outcome of this election and know that the public doesn't subscribe to those policies. 
the public wants <coughs> leaders who are going to solve problems and work together and um, be forward-looking. And as we think about the business community in Michigan, they tried to amend Elliot Larson many times, and there were always, um, uh, you know, maneuvers in the legislature to cut out one group from the LGBTQ community, trans folks, and we've never provided those full protections um, until Dana Nessel's lawsuit. So I, I'm optimistic about what I think we're going to be able to do with this new legislature, and we're looking at all sorts of old zombie laws and cleaning up, you know, the, the books <coughs> so that we don't ever see like a 1931 law come back to life, depending on what the United States Supreme Court does. Um, and, and expanding and protecting the community is something that I anticipate we'll be working very closely with the legislature on. There's a historic number of LGBTQ members of the legislature, and certainly Senator Moss will continue to be kind of a senior states person that we'll work closely with. Governor, um, and I'll leave this open to you, well, Lieutenant Governor. You know, there's a lot of <laughs> eyes on Michigan, obviously, after this this last election and the fact you know, this is historic, first time in 40 years. Do you feel that pressure at all between you know balancing um, you know still being in a purple state, you know battleground state, and also um, you know maybe some national Democrats, you know just this new control, I guess. Do you, do you feel that pressure at all between balancing those those two things? I don't feel that pressure, but we're mindful that people are watching, right? What happened here in Michigan has only happened four times in 130 years. The fact that it happened in the middle of a midterm when there's been so much contention over a variety of issues these last four years, the pandemic being one obvious one, um, what we what happened here in this election was remarkable nationally, and so there are a lot of eyes on us. It's our job to make sure that we stay focused on what matters to Michiganders, not what national pundits are interested in. It's our job to make sure that we're delivering for the people of the state and we stay focused on solving problems. And um, But you know, th there's no question, when you have fair districts, when you've got individual liberties on the ballot, when you have um, candidates who are focused on solving problems and have a record of doing that, and you've got an incredible organization like we had in this last cycle, um, those, I think, were the fundamental pieces to kind of what, what contributed to the outcome of this election. But the people of Michigan spoke. They want to protect our democracy. They want to protect our individual liberties. And I think they want leaders who are just going to stay focused on solving problems, not, you know, all the other stuff that's out there in the ether. How does... What do you want to add? I mean, we, I mean, we know who we work for. We work for people who live in Michigan and who work in Michigan and do business in Michigan. And that's always going to be our focus. So the eyes are going to be what they are. But, but we recognize that the results that we are responsible for and accountable for are how people experience life here in the state of Michigan. That everyone, regardless of your identity or gender expression, that you not only feel seen today, but know that you're part of Michigan's future. That's part of why we won. It's because we made sure that everyone knew that our future included everyone in the state of Michigan. And so regardless of whatever kind of national questions or eyes or anything, we're going to focus on delivering in the people of Michigan. And that's what I want people to see, the fact that Michigan is moving forward because we are doing the work. And, and that's what the voters have asked us to do for four years and have asked us to do for four more. And, and, and with that, that's going to deliver the results that actually matter, which is higher quality of life for people here in the state of Michigan. How does the national um, gaze on that trifecta, plus the likelihood that Michigan will become an early primary state, 
complicate um, a, a sort of you know centrist reaching out uh, agenda of getting things done. I don't. I don't think it complicates it. I think. Um, I think our system of selecting a president in a primary is so bizarre, and it's never <laughs> really reflected the you know the people of the U.S. Right when you've got Iowa and New Hampshire you know, culling the field before a battleground state that the most diverse battleground state in the country even has an opportunity to weigh in has never made a whole lot of sense to me. So I do think that Michiganders' voices should be heard earlier in the process um, until we have a national primary, which is something I think ultimately we should have. I don't know if that's going to be a controversial thing to say or not, but <laughs> it makes sense to me. Um, until that happens, I'm gonna. my job is to make sure that Michigan voices are elevated and heard and impact where we go as a nation and that's why I think that you know this was this was Carl Levin's vision right for decades this is Debbie Dingle's now you know the spearheading it uh, in DC but this is something we've been trying to do for a long time and it's not just about Democrats it's about Republicans it's about the country Michiganders voices need to be heard because I think it's we've shown we are a microcosm of the nation, and what happens in Michigan impacts the whole country. Again, so Rick, the, the dynamics, Rick, that are important <coughs> to us are the dynamics here in the state of Michigan. And while Michigan is not completely separate from, from national dynamics, the ones that really are going to impact our decision making are the ones that in Michigan. And for the comes to the presidential primary, it's good for Michigan for, for more attention to be paid to the people of our state and for people who want to seek national office to be responsive to the needs of the people of our state. And so we certainly will use that leverage as an opportunity, but again, to make sure we can deliver more for people in Michigan and make sure Michiganders are the ones who are empowered in everything that we're doing. So I have a question for the Lieutenant Governor. Um, in Mike Shirky's farewell speech, he talked about the World Economic Forum, later yes, told he did. the media that <laughs> you were a part of this organization. <laughs> Uh, what are your thoughts on those claims about your association? <laughs> well, I I was uh, I think I was as taken aback as most people uh, of of goodwill were um, by the outgoing Senate Majority Leader's speech. Um, he is uncomfortable with a lot of things, um, apparently. But I am really proud of the fact that you know because I was able to do some work that was bipartisan on criminal justice reform that that led to um, folks wanting me to be part of a Young Global Leaders Fellowship about how we can again create second chances for people and we can learn from the things that we did here in Michigan like the Clean Slate Automatic Criminal Record Expulsion Program that's the most progressive, expansive, and inclusive in the country. And so I'm really proud that we've been able to now export that knowledge to other parts of the country to try to emulate what Michigan's doing because how we deliver for Michiganders I think is what's going to be most important to how we're seeing. Um, around the country and everywhere else. And I certainly hope that the Senate Majority Leader uh, enjoys retirement with his family. I want to follow up on what Jonathan asked about uh, FOIA, uh, transparency laws. Do you think Michigan's Lobbying Act needs to be strengthened? A lot of people would say it's, it's Swiss cheese full of holes. And I want to make sure I understand correctly on FOIA. Are you saying you would not support this idea of a legislative open records act that's been passed by the House separate from FOIA, you can't go take them to court, it goes to the Legislative Council, there's a different series of rules than what FOIA has. So I got to refresh my recollection on everything that was contained in that bill, but I can tell you that a separate standard for the legislature doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And I did not trust the last legislature to um, get done both pieces and so that's why it was 
we're doing it in one fell swoop and we're all going to play by the same rules. Um, so, you know, my hope is that going into this next term, we'll have, you know, much more productive conversation, be able to get something on the books. As far as the lobbying act, yeah, I do think that we need to take a look at that and um, update it and make some improvements to it. Any particular areas? I think you mentioned maybe back in 18, you know, cooling off periods, stuff like that. What, what sort of uh, changes? Any? <coughs> I think those probably still make sense, but I also um, want to take a look at some of the loopholes that perhaps contributed to the, you know, the alleged Chatfield um, story. I don't even know how to phrase it. To be honest, the scandal, the alleged. I don't. But we get it. I'm not as steeped in it as our attorney general's offices. Um, I'm reading your coverage of it. I've got confidence it's all accurate. But I also know that there's probably a lot of stuff none of us knows yet. So um, I don't. I, I think we've got to we've got to understand it and see, learn from it, and fix fix areas where where we can. You cut some big deals with Lee Chatfield um, when he was speaker. Did you, um, were you aware of any um, unethical or potentially criminal behavior on his part? No, I did not hang out with him socially. And I, you know, had uh, meetings in here or on a handful of occasions he came over to the residence, but we didn't hang out. But for all the people who wondered why it was so hard to find common ground, I, you heard the going away speech of one, and you see all the coverage of the other. And there you go. Maybe you can appreciate some of the challenges. <laughs> Governor, can you address uh, Liesl Clark's departure from the environmental department? There are lots of people telling us that she was forced to leave. You know, between every um, first term and second term, there are always changes in leadership, and that's normal. To be honest, the fact that we held on to a full cabinet for that full first four years with all the stuff that we've had to navigate I think was pretty remarkable. Um, I got a great deal of respect for Liesl. I appreciate the work that she's done and um, you know we're, there are a few spots in state government where we'll have some new leadership and people shouldn't read too much into why that is other than this is a, a new day and people move on and we wish you know everyone well for them and their families. Why is it necessary to um, make a change or changes at that department? We made changes in a few departments, and um, you know, th this is I think just a, you know, part of what always happens. I mean, you know, in most administrations, we would have gone cycled through one or two or three chiefs of staff by now. You know, we've had actually extraordinary um, stability, and I'm I'm proud of it. I think it, we've run a we have a good environment, we got a lot of good people, but you know, change happens and it's healthy and it's normal. Okay, well, what, what do you think um, will improve at the department as a result of a change of leadership? I'll say uh, across state government, and so this, isn't, this would include EGLE, but it's not exclusive to EGLE. Across state government, um, we are reviewing uh, how quickly we're able to move. We've got a set of standards we've always got to abide by and protect the public, and we will continue to do that. But we're looking to see if there are ways that we can streamline and, and move a, move faster. Um, whether it is in, you know, um, the Liquor Control Commission, or it is in MISHTA, or it is in Eagle, or MDOT, or you know, any part of state government really, um, we're we're trying to really drill down and see where can we 
where can we streamline some things? It'll take some more FDEs, it'll take perhaps some, some new processes, but that's a, a focus of ours. On Eagle, we've heard that there was, <coughs> on the left, consternation that it wasn't more environmental justice focused, but that on you know, industry thought permits were moving too slowly. Is this anything, have those concerns made their way to your desk? Do you envision it tacking in one direction or another a new in the second term? I think we, we gotta we gotta do both, right? We gotta listen to both, but I don't think that these critiques are unique to the last four years, right? You look across state government, <coughs> these have all these have traditionally been the critiques, no matter who's sitting in this chair. Um, no matter who's sitting in that chair. So I don't take any of that as unique to this administration. We've we've addressed and improved some things. I was with the Michigan Economic Development um, Corporation Foundation yesterday, and the the accolades for how we've re kind of built MEDC. Um, I, I was very happy to hear, but, but there's always more good work to do, and <coughs> I think that's that's always going to be true. We have uh, about five minutes left, Governor. Um, you know, during your your last campaign, it seemed like you really focused <coughs> on you know energizing the voters, especially the the younger voters. You know. You finished your campaign at Michigan State, you had a rap song, you know, you really energized voters and as a result you saw these really long lines at Michigan University, or University of Michigan, Michigan State. You know, going, in, well, and as a result I guess, you know, a lot of this next generation kind of Democratic leaders were elected um, across Michigan. Going into 2024, do you know, do you think voters are ready kind of for a next generation? Are, you know, ready to be kind of re-energized by you know, maybe a new set of leaders, uh, both nationally and, and in Michigan, possibly? I do. I think it's it's exciting. When we saw the energy on campuses, like, we went to Saginaw Valley State University on 8, was it Friday, Friday morning? morning? at 8 o'clock. At 8 o'clock. We didn't offer free food. <laughs> we had a packed house. These students were engaged, and um, it was really energizing. We spent... Um, let's see, that evening we were at University of Michigan with Pete Buttigieg. Saturday night we were at the African American Museum with Kerry Washington. You know, like every night we were on a different campus with, and, and we were Grand Valley State. You know, we didn't have like a, a famous headliner. It was, people were just turned out in mass for, you know, Hillary Skolton and all the, the folks on the team. So um, it was energizing, it's exciting. No student should have to stand in line for five hours to register and vote. And so I think that will focus some of our energy in this, you know, in the coming six months probably, working with the Secretary of State, obviously with the House and Senate. But I think that there are some additional improvements we can make it to make it easier for young people to participate, for all people. But um, when we saw those lines on campuses, I was thrilled that all these people were engaged and willing to stay in line, but they shouldn't have had to. When you ask if people are ready, I mean, you have your answer with how they showed up, with what you saw. You know, our eyes are not lying to us, and it's our it's our job to make sure that we are, are therefore responsive to what to what those voters are, are clamoring for. And so, again, the investments we're making in every community in the state of Michigan, the investments in making higher education more affordable, like we've done with the Michigan Achievement Scholarship just in October, right before uh, the election, for more people to have access to it. The fact that student loan debt relief is available tax-free in Michigan because of a choice that we made. That's not 
not true in every other state. The fact that we're going to continue to to strengthen our state's response to the climate crisis, and part of that is the uh, the job creation that we're doing in, in clean energy and in battery technology um, and in the, the scale up of that production, but also the My Healthy Climate Plan that we're going to continue to work toward and, and strengthen with this legislature. So I think they voted for a reason, and we're going to um, make sure that that's uh, something that we can fulfill. Governor, um, with the AG's lawsuit um, <coughs> against Enbridge um, for Line 5, um, which she is likely to appeal, are you? do you have any plans to sign on as a friend of the court or to bolster the lawsuit, or are you planning on just uh, supporting from the outside still? Um, so I, I would have to go back and refresh my We've had so many lawsuits <laughs> um, on, on that subject. Um, you know, obviously, we've worked very closely with the Attorney General, and um, we're actually having dinner with her tonight. Um, and so, and the Secretary of State, I'm not telling you where. Um, right. and, uh, <laughs> and all of our spouses, right. it's going to be fun. Uh, again? <laughs> Land shark. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, we're, we're going to continue to work closely together. We obviously have. Um, we bear a lot of risk, and that is one of the things I do worry about is a break in line five. The um, Biden administration, the Trudeau administration are negotiating over the treaty, so uh, that is one thing that I will be getting an update on very soon, and if you want to follow up, we'd be happy to. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Dave? Governor, uh, every two years uh, legislative session, there are vacancies in the legislature. Does that, um, and given the, the narrow Democratic majorities, I mean, do you feel urgency to, on January 1st, to pass a very aggressive agenda in the first six months? I mean, very quickly, given the possibility of vacancies and maybe maybe don't either, you know, don't have enough votes for, for certain issues? I think vacancies are not, the first six months are going to be really important. And, um, you know, we're working very closely with, uh, you know, Senator, Senate Majority Leader-elect Brinks and Speaker-elect Tate. Um, we've, you know, I, are going to have an agenda that I think we're all, we're all absolutely um, dedicated to, and I would imagine early on we'll be able to give the Working Family Tax Credit, get that um, done, as well as uh, the, the Retirement Tax Repeal. So that's just the start, but I do think that six months is, you know, the first six months is going to be really important. And we're cognizant. And I've met, met with both of the new caucuses, majority caucuses. Um, you know, it was an outstanding outcome for the election <coughs> from our <coughs> perspective. I never dreamed that we'd actually have a bigger, um, you know, win than four years ago. And now we've obviously got both chambers of the legislature, but it's a two-seat margin. And so um, I have told anyone, I don't want to hear any sort of reference to like a mandate. I don't believe it's a mandate. I think it's an affirmation that we're focused on the right things. We're going to stay focused on the right things. We're going to make a seat at the table for everyone who wants to solve problems. And um, I think giving people relief early on is, is going to be important for us to do. Is Elliot Larson on that list too? The six month list? So. Elliot Larson's an important thing for us to get done, and I would anticipate that will be early on in the schedule. And what <coughs> bills can we expect a veto letter for before the end of the year? Um, I, 
I, Bobby, you want to answer that question? They didn't negotiate with me on a lot of things, so you know how I uh, think a reasonable person can assume that you're not negotiating with the governor, you're probably not going to get a signature. Governor, I did talk to incoming House Minority Leader Matt Holly yesterday. He is still very insistent that your administration walked away from a spending deal, reneged, he continues to say um, that there was a deal. Um, can you address that? Was there a deal? And is this, um, Bolafay described it as a UP timber-related uh, uh, opportunity, is that time-sensitive? Was not, um, you know, getting funding put into the SOAR, uh, more funds into the SOAR, uh, a problem for landing that project? Um, they should have gotten it done. And the Republicans in the legislature and the Republicans who represent the UP failed the failed to get it done. It's unfortunate, but we will get it done at the beginning of the year. As for, um, what was the first part of your question, Jonathan? Um, did you walk away from a deal? Oh, no. There, and, and for someone who was not even a part of deal negotiations to um, say what was happening in them, I think is, is, it's irresponsible. I'm hopeful that Representative Hall um, will come back to Lansing after the first of the year with a spirit of trying to work together. But I got to tell you, I think that that is a really um, unproductive way to kick off a new relationship. We got one more. Governor, just to follow up on Rick's question, <coughs> can, you, can you lay out the rest of your six month agenda now? No, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you won't pay attention to my state of the state or my budget presentation. You really think that's going to be a problem? <laughs> <laughs> Your other issue beyond that, you mentioned taxes. I, just I, I don't think anyone's going to be surprised, right? I mean, I have got a you know long record of things that I have worked on in Lansing. I've got positions on all the issues I know you're interested in. So I haven't changed. Um, I think we're going to have an opportunity to really do some great work this term, uh, long overdue, whether it's investments or policy changes. So um, I, I think it's exciting. Really uh, some great stuff happening. And like I said, you know, there's always going to be a seat at the table for um, anyone who actually wants to solve a problem. We've got some, some important things we've got to tackle, um, and we will stay at it until we're, we can check them off our list. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank Happy holidays. Thank